Welcome to Shed the Music Spotlight Podcast. My name is Bob Habersat. I'm a high school music teacher and co-founder of ShedTheMusic.com. If you've ever sang in a choir, taught choir, or if you've had any experience in the pedagogical choral world at all, you've seen our guest's name on the page. With over 900 choral titles in print and over 30 million copies in circulation, he is the most widely performed composer-slash-arranger of popular choral music in the world today. Our guest has been the recipient of ASCAP's Standard Award for 20 years running, and his works have been performed at the White House, Carnegie Hall, and the Kennedy Center. He is in constant demand as a lecturer on pop music and the changing voice and has appeared at numerous NAFME and ACDA conferences. It is a great honor to have Roger Emerson with me today. Thank you, Roger, for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Bob. It's a treat to be here. Awesome. So I'd like to start with some some lighthearted questions first, some that just <laughs> like kind of touch on music and music education. Uh, I just figured out my answer for this one during dinner today, but here you go. So if you could have lunch with any musician, living or dead, who would it be and what would you eat for lunch? Oh, my gosh. And if you want time, I have mine, and I can tell you mine. <laughs> well, um, um, I think James Taylor. Oh, yeah. I, I really dig James Taylor. I, I mean, uh, I, I followed him. He's part of my my fabric my musical fabric um he's a little bit older than i am but uh being a guitar player you know i was uh, trying to emulate his licks um and uh, and things and i just i like his political sense and his um you know giving back to community and those kinds of things i think i think he'd have a lot to share and uh, what would i have for lunch well, um, I don't know, a f good French dip or something. <laughs> oh, sandwich, that's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> Although it might be better, you know, if you're with someone, probably better to eat with knife and fork. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get grease all over yeah, your face. Yeah, with French dip. <laughs> I, I, might, I, might, I might, maybe a, a Cobb salad or something. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe that would bring out some just some more honesty in the conversation, like where we all we put this facade on sometimes yeah. when you're talking to someone new. But if you have yeah. like just Stuff grease for... dripping down your face, <laughs> like yeah, who cares? Yeah, yeah put that, it all out there. That breaks the ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so mine would be I found out. Um, so I, I moved into a, a house in Brookfield, Illinois, which is just like a bungalow. It's like a, it's an old house, and um, we moved here five years ago. And the neighbor lived here for like fifty years, and I was talking to him from over the fence, and we were talking about the house, and he did not know that I like jazz. And he's like, "Do you do you listen to jazz?" I was like, "Yeah." I mean, like, I, I didn't I didn't tell him, but you know, I'm a jazz guitar player. I love jazz. He's like, "Do you know Scott Evans?" And I was like, uh, "No." He's like, "Wait, no, Bill Evans." He's like, "Yeah, I know Bill Evans." So turns out Bill Evans's grandma used to live in my house. Oh my! I don't know. The only thing that I have. I'm gonna, uh, the only thing that I have that's kind of proof is I was redoing the kitchen and I found this old piece of paper. It's like a shopping list. And on it, it's like shrimp salad, two tablecloths, blue shirt for Billy. So I don't know if that's the Billy, but I'd have. Well, let's Evans. just say it is. Yeah, let's. We have to. And that's what yeah. a good what a good blues chart name too. Blue shirt for Billy. Blue um, shirt so for Billy. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, up here in, in Mount Shasta, there was um, a gentleman, his name was Ethan Crosby, who claimed to be David Crosby's brother and may very well have been. Um, and I got a guitar from him. And he said, oh, this is David's. Well, I don't know if it was or not, but 
I'm going to say it was an old oh, Martin. It was. It <laughs> you know, totally sure it was. I'm sure he had hundreds of them, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I would, I would have lunch with Bill Evans. We'd have, uh, we'd have, I don't know, sushi or something. And, and I would just, uh, just to ask him, but besides like, can you show me some dope piano voicings? Besides that, I'd be like, was it, did your mom live here? And maybe we could talk about David Crosby too. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what music are you listening to? What are you, what are you digging into currently? Um, uh, you know, I, I have to admit that I do a lot of, uh, a lot of listening to, um, to eighties music, a lot of earth, wind and fire, a lot of James Taylor, a lot of, uh, Steely Dan. I mean, I mean, um, to me, today's contemporary music pales by comparison, you know, harmonically, it's just not as interesting, you know, with my jazz upbringing as well. I'm, I'm always, you know, listening for cool chords. And of course, you know, I guess I'd have to say now Jacob Collier, you know, listening to him, listen, Groove for Thought, uh, if you're familiar with them, I just think that's a fabulous vocal jazz ensemble accent, um, you know, so um yeah, I've got pretty eclectic tastes, a little bit of everything. Um, I, you know, I like, uh, Sarah, I like Bill Evans too. I like just solo piano. You know, I've, I've got this, um, I've got this two CD set called like um, piano uh, for cocktails and piano for dinner. And it's a guy out of Canada. I can't, I can't recall his name off the top of my head, but it's just him on piano and it's doing all the standards with these really tasty harmonizations. And for me, it just, brings me down settles you know um yeah and of course you know growing up as a guitarist i i was into classical for a while you know uh obviously andre segovia and oscar guilla and and christopher parkening and all, all those so um, um that's another sort of tangent i i go off on um and of course you know I, i'm a choral guy so um i love morton lards and work work and um so i um uh, I, I love his work because not only is it is it harmonically uh, tight, you know, the clusters, but also he has a great melodic sense that I think is sometimes missing from a lot of today's uh, sort of um, here. Let me put my hands on the keyboard clusters. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. You were, you were saying that because I was just upstairs uh, right after dinner. I was playing through just like I love just trying to figure out tunes by ear from memory. Like, all right that the Pesh Mode song that I heard a long time ago, like there were some really, even in the like super poppy 80s stuff, there were some really cool harmonic things happening that, you know, like, as you said, it's not just the one, four, five, six things right. that are going on right now, right. which with your arranging it, which you are doing heavily, um, you have to, you kind of go through it. And do you, do you try to put in other harmonic flourishes when you're doing arranging or does that kind of depend on the brief you know um <clears throat> there are so many different approaches uh you know so much of my work is uh, make it sound like the original um and so um um in those cases i just try and make it work for for the typical teacher and student um but if i'm if i'm doing a sort of a, a um i want to say a new setting then i'll uh I will pull out uh, sort of my Dave Grusin kinds of, uh, you know, chords that I, that I love. And, uh, or if I'm writing something original, like, you know, I did a setting of stopping by woods um, and I set it as sort of a gallop and I, I found myself sort of going to those places. So, um, 
more in my original writing will I sort of spread out, you know, unless I'm doing a vocal jazz arrangement particularly, which I don't do as, as much of anymore. I've, I, you know, I've got a collection of my, sort of my ballads over the years. Um, there's so many great people doing great work these days. You don't really <laughs> need my, I'm between Darman Meter and Carrie Marsh and, you know, um, Matt Falker and, you know, all those great guys. So gals, Rosanna Eckert, et cetera. Do you have, do you have any like go to, I mean, cause I was a good, I was a choir teacher for a couple of years. So like went for choral music ed and then I, uh, I did men's choir for a while. And at the end I started to arrange and I mean, arranging for voice, there are some chords that just sound so beautiful that if you arranged it for anything else, they just kind of fall flat. Um, yeah. Is there any, do you have any yeah. like voicings that you are like, these are my money voicings. They just sound so good. Or you're talking about clusters. Like, are there any things that you kind of gravitate towards that you could throw into um, uh, an accessible arrangement that you know are easy to sing, but also sound good? Right. Well, the ad nines, the ad nines are sort of the easiest sort of go-to. Yeah. Um, they, they always sound cool and, um, and they just, you know, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like adding more butter to a dish <laughs> or something. Um, yeah. So, um, that's, that's something that I'll, I'll strive for and try and find places, uh, for that. There, I think there are other people that are probably much better at that than I am, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, an aural, uh, learner and a ranger. Um, I, my, my ears are better than my skill. And so, um, um, it's been my saving grace, I suppose, but I'm sure there are those that could tell you, oh, well, here's what I would do. And they, they, they could do it without a piano. I tend to sort of sit down and have to, have to sort of plunk it out and go, oh yeah, I think this is going to work. Of course, nice thing with finale or something, I use finale, but you can hear it back, you know, and in real time and, and, um, yeah, if it works well there, it usually works well in the studio. So, and that's what makes your arrangements so popular is that everything is very singable. You know, all Thank of you. the lines, all of the interior structures—they're all—they're all very melodic. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I'm a singer first, um, and and that, I'm I'm not a great keyboard player. You know, I can chord comp, and um, I'm a better guitarist than I am a, a keyboard player. But I. And sometimes I'll even write on guitar. If, I, if I'm writing some, uh, you know, we, uh, I've done a lot of children's musicals and sometimes I'll get out the guitar because I just want to get a whole different kind of vibe from a songwriting standpoint. But uh, um, melodiousness of line is always sort of, you know, people say, gee, your, your lines always go where they're supposed to go. And I go, well, I try uh, every once in a while. Every once in a while, I'm surprised and go, oh, yeah, if I had it do over again, I think I'd, I would have gone there. But most of the time, uh, you know, I sing through my lines, sing through the upper ones in falsetto, and, you know, hope, hopefully uh, I get it right, you know, 90, 95% of the time. So sorry, teachers, <laughs> for the other 5%. <clears throat> Can you describe your, your journey as an educator and a composer and arranger? Well, you know, I, I'm a mutt so to speak. I really am. Um, I grew up in a musical family. My mom arranged for live radio and grew up in Los Angeles. Um, and, and so there was always music around me and we always sang. I mean, it was just something I thought every family <laughs> got around the, the piano and sang. And, um, 
um, you know, was always hands-on, you know, it wasn't as a, as a kid, it wasn't, you know, get away from the piano was, yeah, great. Go over there. Um, and I told brothers who were musical and I wanted, you know, as a little brother, you want to do things as good or better than your older brothers. So they sort of egged me on they were in like modern folk quartet kind of stuff and, and jazz quartets and trios and and so I had that to emulate and I thought I was going to be a professional musician I mean I mean I, I don't know that I I was never one of those driven uh, kinds of people I don't think I, I just sort of I really enjoyed school I was social so I enjoyed school um, I had a really fine uh, uh, music experience in elementary school uh, there was this um, this gal Rita Cushing who um, I think she only came around about once a week during lunch uh, or maybe twice. And I can distinctly remember her once grabbing me off the playground and said, don't you remember it's choir day? <laughs> it still stuck <laughs> with me. And I go, Oh my gosh, I forgot. But uh, some of the skills that she taught about intonation about raising your eyebrows to get the soft palate up and the importance of focus and, um, it was, it was just re, uh, really cool. But then I got to junior high and those days I had junior high instead of middle school. Um, there was no vote. Well, there was girls glee or marching band. <laughs> and so as a guitarist, I wasn't going to do marching band. I mean, I, I, maybe I could have taken up an instrument, but um, <clears throat> I remember actually helping out girls glee by running their, their Sony reel to reel tape decks and stuff. So I sort of got into that audio thing and I got to high school and uh, it was all the, the weirdos and you know, it was a very small program. And um, so I went the student government route and just continued to play guitar and sing, you know, had a little jazz trio and then had a rock and roll band. And I was writing songs and doing demos and and that kind of thing. So, you know, I'm not your typical. Uh, I spent a year at Whittier College as a non-music major. And then some friends of mine uh, uh, said, hey, why don't you come north to this little community college in Northern California, about uh, 600 miles away from, from home. And I was sort of ready to, to leave home and stuff. And so I headed north just on a fluke. And I said, you know, I'm going to take some music, some real music classes because uh, I'd studied guitar and stuff. Uh, and I, I, you know, I could read, but I wasn't I wasn't focused enough to really, you know, I don't know, be a jazz guitarist. And so um, it just happened. I ended up this, this community college with Kirby Shaw and Kirby was unpublished at the time. Uh, Kirby is a fabulous educator as well as a great arranger and a really good musician. And, and he said, you know, you really ought to consider the music ed thing. So um, basically I spent two years there and, you know, did all my theory and uh, musicianship classes and, uh, uh, continued to write songs and then finished finished my degree at Southern Oregon University about 60 miles north and came back um, came back to teach and ended up I, of course you know you come out of college everybody wants a high school job but um, uh, I was offered this middle this K8 job and best thing that could have happened to me um, and so I um, um, I, you know, I was in there with my, fortunately as a, as a guitarist, I could, I could do classroom music with those little K3, K4 kids. They thought I was, they thought I was cool. And I had band and choir. So I taught band Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I got, uh, uh, choir Tuesday, Thursday. Um, band was pretty easy by comparison, particularly at that level, because you had a band method and it was right. sequential and you had graded arrangements. I mean, boom, 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 boom. Plus, a, a kid is fine in the fifth grade singing Mary Had a Little Lamb or Merrily We Roll Along. 
uh, a kid wouldn't be happy singing in the fifth grade because they've been singing, you know, by ear probably sooner than that. So, um, yeah, so I, my choirs just weren't very good, particularly my middle school choirs. And, and I stumbled on this piece by Joyce Eilers called Brighten My Soul with Sunshine that was in this three-part mix format, which basically was, you know, S-A, I call it baritenor, you know, about six notes, F to D. And, and, and her parts were always very uh, melodic, particularly for those guys, for the third part, the tenor basses or whatever you had, baritenors. And it worked. And suddenly I go, wow, I hear a triad there. How cool. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I consciously, I remember uh, I'd been pitching songs to record companies, nothing was sticking. And uh, so I said, you know, um, I think uh, you call yourself a songwriter, write a song for your kids. And so I wrote this piece called First We Must Be Friends that used this uh, sort of Joyce Eilers concept of that F to D range and, and a lot of call and response and uh, worked for my kids. And, um, you know, um, then I did some arrangements, Sinner Man, that kind of thing, used the similar kind of call and response, guys having a very melodic, limited range part. And, um, uh, it took a couple of years, but finally uh, attracted a, it's a long story, but a, uh, a publisher um, through a fluke. <laughs> he was fired from Hal Leonard, started oh. his own company, Jensen Publications, and remembered me and needed a needed an arranger. So right place, right time. And that year I did 17 pieces. I did, I think, three or four originals or PDs, and then the rest were um, copyrighted arrangements. And while While teaching? Well, yeah, while teaching, but I was single, I was, you know, I was, I was 27, 28, 29, I didn't get married till I was 33. And so nights and weekends, you know, sort of what you do, uh, I certainly wasn't going to let this opportunity pass, but eventually then by, you know, after about three years, um, I just couldn't, teaching takes so much and take if you're going to do it right. And I was having to go and do workshops and things and reading sessions. And I said, my kids are suffering you know, it's time to let somebody else take over. So um, that was the first time that I sort of retired. And then I went back in 10 years later, and then I took another hiatus, then went back in when my own kids were coming up through middle school and then taught at the community college. And um, so I've really taught most of my life to some degree um, while writing. So, which is, I, I think, really important. You know, you just have a different sensibility and they, these were not, um, I don't want to say these were not select kids generally. They were your, y'all come and sing. And I I, I think, uh, although maybe I did not have the, the most uh, precision-like ensembles, it has really helped me to, to write and arrange materials that I think um, work for the bulk of, of people everywhere. Because we all, even if we've got a high-end group, we usually have those that are just, you know, y'all come and uh, trying to make a, you know, a, um, a silk purse out of a sow's ear sometimes. <laughs> no, that's, there's, there's so many things in there that, that I love. I mean, the first thing is the piano in the house when you were a kid and just singing with your family. Like my, my grandmother was one of four and I just remember going to my going to her house or, or her brother's house and it would just be they instead of watching tv after dinner they all played piano and sang in four-part harmony it just blew my mind it's like yeah. this is amazing and i just recently like two weeks ago we we bought our first piano in our house and i was like i want to do that 
Yeah. Like, we're taking the TV down. We're playing piano every night. Like, we were doing Disney stuff tonight. It's like, that is such a cool thing. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, your how you know a lot of people ask like okay how how did you know i was asking people like what should you ask roger emerson they're like well how do you become a composer and arranger and i think the the biggest takeaway is you you like nights and weekends you know like yeah work working it and then also being at the right place in the right time but i mean it doesn't matter if you're at the right place in the right time and if you haven't put in like the hours and yeah. like have been humble enough to like try something in the classroom, realize it didn't work, went back <laughs> to the drawing board, changed the voicing. Like, you know, I think th- that takeaway is something that no matter what you do, that's something you can apply to your field. It's just like. Yeah, it's that whole 10,000 hours thing they talk about. And uh, you just have to do it. You know, people say, where do I start? I go, you got to sit down and do it. I mean, it's so, by comparison, it's so easy today with the notation programs and the ability to hear things back. Now, um, there's nothing like having live a live ensemble, you know, uh, perform your piece, but you can get a pretty good idea. And particularly if you've been in the classroom and you know, um, you know the comfortable ranges uh, of most students, you know, that's pretty straight ahead. Um, and of course, the whole... Um, uh, pop arranging uh, arena has changed with um, Sheet Music Plus and the Arrange Me feature that is basically powered by Hal Leonard. They were able to to uh, basically make their entire copy, copyright catalog. Uh, several million songs ultimately will be available for arranging there. And um, uh, by the same token, don't expect to get rich at it. Um, I mean, of course, that was never a motivator for me. I I was amazed. I, I was making $6,000 a year teaching. This is 1977. And my first royalty check was $6,000. I doubled my, and, and I remember going, oh my gosh, I had no idea. <laughs> um, but but realized when I started, there was there was just this huge hole. No one was, very few people, Joyce Eilers, Joyce Ruth Artman, and Natalie Sleeth. Uh, uh, you know, about we're, we're writing for this sort of middle school, this odd beast we call middle school. And, and, the, and the stuff just flew off the shelves because everyone needed it. And so, you know, uh, I'm just, I feel so fortunate. Um, and the, you know, and the, the other thing is that I, I'm sort of, bo- I get easily bored. So I'm so fortunate to be able to, to write little kids, you know, K one little musical shows and then write maybe some more high end uh, vocal jazz um, uh, it's kept me from, from boredom and, and also maybe kept me from being too pigeonholed, um, which again, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily intentional. It was just, uh, uh, very organic. You know, uh, for me, it's always been, um, uh, meet the need. What do you need? Um, because, you know, there's plenty of great music out there for, for, again, your, your high performing teachers and ensembles. Um, but but how do you get kids excited about singing? How do you get them prepared for Morton Lauritsen or or Brahms or you know whatever? Um, I was with Sophia Papoulis, Jim Papoulis's uh, wife, on, on tour here a couple years ago. And at the end of a day, our first day together, uh, she said, "Your music is very purposeful," mm. and and I, I'd I'd never heard 
heard it put that way, but she was spot on. Yeah, it's purposeful. There's a sort of a reason for for everything that I do, even in the pop pieces, you know, it, um, uh, although, you know, somebody had to do Party in the USA, it might as well be me. And to make... <laughs> <laughs> and, but generally speaking, even in that, you know, it's got to be a solid arrangement. You know, the lines have to go and it has to somehow, if, if a student's going to do it, then you know what I'm turning their noses up at and go, this doesn't sound at all like the original. So, yeah. So could you discuss like your process from like transcription to final product? Like it sounds like you put even, even for, songs that you would think would be formulaic you know in nature like the 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 pops the, your party in the usa's right um, it still <laughs> sounds like you have you know it's purposeful you put in a lot of time and effort into it which is probably why they're so popular because they're so good like could you describe your process from beginning to end sure well, uh, first thing is um, you have to get a, if, if you're going to publish the arrangement, um, you have to get um, approval from the powers that be at your publisher um, that it's something that someone else is not doing um, and that it's uh, um, lyrically appropriate. Um, um, yeah, there's because uh, sometimes, uh, you know, references to alcohol in any way, like raise your glass and, you know, uh, those kinds of things I wouldn't have a problem with. But sometimes uh, the, the publisher just wants to play it safe. And of course, these days with um, with songs that have um, uh, maybe minstrel origins, you know, so suddenly we're we're looking at things even more carefully than ever before. But. Let's just say I, I hear a song that I like, like Dynamite by BTS, okay, which I, I just finished the other day. Um, um, hopefully, there'll be a lead sheet, um, either um, one that's already been produced um, or one that comes from the show. If it's a Broadway musical, sometimes we'll get, actually get a lead sheet because it really helps uh, – um, to make sure that lyrics and punctuation and make sure you get the melody just right, or at least what they intended. Um, although sometimes uh, um, I, I'll, I'll almost always work with the recording and sometimes the lead sheets and recording. I go, well, the lead, the recording, I, I want to do what the recording says, not what the lead sheet, <laughs> yeah. because that's the way kids will want to do it. They've, they've heard it. Teachers have heard it. Um, and so, uh, I mean, the first thing I do is, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll spend some time, you know, it used to be that before uh, a computerized notation, uh, I would I'd do a lot more playing and just some just some sketching. But now with uh, with notation, I'll I'll throw a score up there and and kick right off by, OK, here's how I want to start the thing and throw it in because you can always move it. You can always change keys. You can always, you know, um, because um, you just have to you just have to start sometimes that's the hard part, but I'll determine, usually determine the key, the optimum key, you know, I'll look and see where the melody lies. And, um, and then I'll set, you know, check the tempo, set a tempo, and then I'll figure out how's the thing going to start? What kind of intro? Because um, even if a lot of pieces today um, have um, may start right on the get go with vocals, well, you're, you're going to have to create something because if there's going to be an accompaniment MP3 or CD, they're going to have to have some intro before things happen or they won't be able to queue up. 
Um, and so anyway, I will, I'll go through and go, okay, um, it's going to be uh, soprano alto melody here, and then maybe um, hand off to the, to the tenor basses here, or they'll start together in unison here. Um, uh, um, uh, you know, to start with, I always like to give them some success in the first 16 bars. And so it might just be melody in unison uh, kind of thing. And then, okay, what's going to happen next? Are you going to are you going to go to sort of a two-part or a call and response kind of thing going on between two parts? And then, of course, you get to the chorus. Most likely, it's going to be block harmony, most likely. That's the, you know, the default. Um, um, and so um, I'll go ahead and, and maybe do the, the, the verse and chorus like that and then listen to it and see, okay, are we just going to go back and repeat the same thing second time through? Or are you going to try and add an element of vocal element um, and maybe that time around you do sort of a call, call and response in the on the melody on that second second a um, and then of course probably repeat the chorus the way that it is uh, then of course you're either ready for a bridge or a key change you know something has to happen then yeah. or a breakdown you know and then a stack kind of thing where you're bringing in various parts um, and so, you know, you, you just work it, then I'll go back and listen to it. Like today, I was, I, I, we have this series that I learned called Discovery Series. And it's, it's um, we do a lot of sort of classic rock uh, for middle school. So it's three-part mix, primary voicing. Uh, the parameters are very, uh, are pretty well set by the editor, Audrey Snyder. And sometimes I have to fight her on that because I say <laughs> that melody trumps range. But anyway, um, so we're doing Billy Joel's River of Dreams, which I always thought was a cool tune. Well, the first thing is, are you going to do it in 16th notes or in cut time? Well, it's going to look easier in cut time. Yeah. And since, since paper is no, you know, the fact is these days, at least for a company like Hal Leonard who has their own printing press, doesn't cost them much more to do more pages. Um, I've did it in cut time because it just looks easier on the page. Cause when, when a choral director looks at a piece of music, it either might frighten you from the beginning or it's okay. I, I think I can do this. I think my kids can do this. Um, and so, um, yeah, um, that one just starts with percussion and then the triad vocals come in. So I went ahead and started with percussion. Then I, I just sort of outlined the notes of the chord and then they come in. So, um, um, I was trying to figure out, you know, what to do there. Um, so that was a, and then it, it fades out at the end. So you got to write an ending, yeah. come up with something that doesn't every, end. It every giant decrescendo to nothing. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard writing good endings. It just is, and I apologize for all the ones that might be just a little funky or just stop. You know, the good news is a lot of the recordings today just stop. <laughs> yeah, just but, like the recording. I did just, just like, like the recording. recording. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. But uh, yeah, so um, that's so sort do, of the you process. You do have to transcribe some of the yeah, stuff sometimes. I have to transcribe a lot. I, I've got, um, I, mean, I used to use a cassette player, a Sony Superscope. Where, and I sort of liked it because you could just very quickly back up, you know, foom, yeah. foom, foom, foom. I'm using a, 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 a touch now um, and it's, it's hard because I can't just, you know, it's hard to get it precise and sometimes it won't stop when I want it to and those kinds of things. But yeah, I'll have a, a couple of devices. Uh, sometimes I'll have an iPad if it's a YouTube video, like if I'm doing, um, oh, I just did a good job 
um, the uh, Alicia Keys tune. And, and, and of course, I look at some of the YouTube uh, versions, you know, that are out there by uh, One Voice Choir or whatever, One Voice Children's Choir. And so, um, you know, I'll go, I like that. I can use that. Now they're going too far afield for most <laughs> choirs. Uh, let me take the best part and repeat it. You know, those kinds of things. So I, I, I'm always sort of codifying. And, you know, there's always trade-offs. Um, again, if you've got a really a really high performing group, you might go, well, why didn't you do something different here? But if you've got a group that's, that's sort of fledgling, which is sort of my default, thank goodness, it's just a repeat and <laughs> up a step or yeah. something. And, and so, um, again, I'm sort of the holiday end of arrangers. No, no surprises. Or, or, you know, hopefully there's a good, there's a great moment, but nothing that's going to go, oh man, you know, it's like those, there's always in a Darman meter chart, you get to like the, uh, the golden triangle and there's, there's eight to 16 bars or something that's just almost impossible to sing. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm having trouble with it, I know my kids are, so, you know, um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I think the hardest thing because because i arrange a lot of my own music for guitar ensemble because there's right. not that much for guitar ensemble right so like rhythm pop music rhythm is so hard i mean they're not thinking in notation when they're singing no. which is just but like how do you go about like some things just have to be changed because they're not metronomic or it's just like yeah some just have to be there's so much nuance uh, some just have to be simplified and you try and do it without taking, without really gutting the character of the line. You know, that's where as a songwriter, I go, okay, this sings, even though it's not exactly what the artist did. Um, if it's a, if it's a solo, I will put maybe improvised over the top mm, okay. to give some latitude, but, but as an ensemble, you sort of have to do it, you know, as written. So, um, yeah, uh, it it can be um, it can be challenging. Like I say, that the Billy Joel tune worked much better in cut time. You know, it's actually I can count it out one, two, uh, one. Uh, 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 uh. All the syncopation is at least you know the subdivide subdivision of the beat is just easier than doing sixteenth notes. So yeah, so, uh, so you would say like essential skills for an arranger transcription. I mean, it sounds yeah. like it sounds like almost the skills that you need to be a jazz guitar player are the skills you need to be a choral well, arranger. Well, yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, obviously, I wish I had more I, more piano skills. But when it comes to piano parts, you know, I, I, I admire my my friends, you know, um, Mac Huff and, and Rollo Dilworth, all these guys. They play such great piano. Uh, by the same token, I know that that a lot of teachers have thanked me and said, oh, thank you for these playable piano parts, which for me are pretty much left hand, bass line, right hand. You know, it's chord comping for yeah. the most part. And um, but, yeah, I mean, the ability to transcribe is really important. And there are better transcribers. You know, if you wanted me to take down a, a take six chart, uh, I, I could probably do it. It would take me forever. There are people with much better ears than I have. Um, but for the level at which I create, um, um, having good ears and the ability to, to um, you know, hear and, uh, and, and my producer who produces all my recordings, Alan Billingsley, you know, he'll catch me sometimes and go, you know, that chord is actually this. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, that is better. Thanks, Al. 
That's well, two heads are better than one, you know? Sure. Um, and, and then it's how much time are you going to take? You know, that's another thing, you know, am I going to spend, uh, yeah. How much yeah, time? One measure. You're going to take a week for this one measure. Yeah. Can it, is this close <laughs> enough? Is yeah. this piano? Well, in fact, the Billy Joel, uh, there's a, there's a place in this uh, river of dreams towards the end where he, he comps sort of, you know, cool piano stuff. And so I, I got the bulk of it and I go, well, yeah, I think a teacher could play this. I think it's got most of those, most of those cool sort of uh, moving harmonic things going over. Cause it's just a one, four, five tune, yeah. but he does these, these cool sort of blues licks over the top there. And, and so have you ever uh, thought about do it? Cause during the pandemic, I started to, I shifted my guitar curriculum to, I'm teaching them how to arrange. And it's very sequenced, like, you know, this is step one, this is step two. Have you ever thought about, you know, creating a curriculum for choral arranging? Um, it, it has crossed my mind. It, it is not, um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to share any any skills I have, but it, you know, um, being able to to codify that into a text for me would be so laborious. Um, um, yeah, it wouldn't. It would not be fun. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I'm to the age where I want to do I want to do this fun stuff, you know, gotcha. eat and yeah, drink and, and have good meals with my friends and and listen to great music and write some music and. Yeah. You want to have uh, but thank you. Ju juicy beef sandwiches with James Taylor. <laughs> yeah, right. Running down my cheeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking about like if I was teaching choir right now, I would probably I would probably be teaching choral arranging. Well, yeah, I I, I think you're I think you're spot on there. At, it, uh, um, I, I've often said that um, uh, particularly with middle school kids getting that people people have said. I've got to teach seventh and eighth grade general music. What do I do? I say recording arts. I mean, creating film score for me would be, you know, something that I would do, particularly if you had garage band or, uh, or um, a soundtrack these days you can do with and that kind of thing. Um, um, I would definitely be getting kids into at least uh, grabbing loops and stuff and creating atmospheric kinds of stuff for film. Um, which I have done on a, I did a tune called River Song some years ago, and it was really, I call it River Dance in five minutes. Um, but it, it was, it was sort of created, because I think we all want to be film scorers at deep in our hearts. And so I actually created it sort of like a, a film score and then added, then created a choral out of it instead of, uh, and it worked pretty well. And it was a, a whole different approach to, to choral writing for me and it, you know, opened some doors I hadn't thought about. And so doors that could be open for, for kids during this crazy time. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think, um, and, and, you know, here's the reality and that's that. Um, and I say this, I say this to, to people who teach jazz improvisation, vocal improvisation, that, um, um, they, your, your best improvisers are really spontaneous composers. They hear melody. You give them a chord, they hear it. Now you can intellectualize it. Instrumentalists do it all the time. Oh, just use this mixolydian scale over this and, you know, the whole Jamie Abersole thing. Um, but uh, Ella, you know, take any of the great improvisers, man, they just, they're writing music. 
Yeah. They're writing it and just, just right behind where it needs to be. And so I feel the same way about arrangers and writers and, and as teach educators, we just need to open the door, you know, because those who have it, which will be maybe the one in 10, 10%, maybe two in 10 uh, will flourish. Um, and, and so as an educator, it's, it's not always, it's not always expecting everyone to get it. Uh, it is giving them an opportunity to get it and those who will, and the rest will be there for the good time. Do you have any additional um, like advice for choral educators right now during, we're recording this during not quarantined anymore, but I mean, probably going to be quarantined pretty soon for where I live, but do you have any uh, advice for remote choral teachers right now? Well, um, um, first of all, um, realize this is not going to be forever. And I want to say, don't be too hard on yourselves for starters. Um, Try and keep it upbeat and positive. You know, um, it's all it's all relative. We're not in in uh, a prison camp in Vietnam. I mean, I think of John McCain spending five years in, in, in a in a cell um, so, um, you know, put things in proper perspective. If you're healthy and your family's healthy and you got a job and all those kinds of things. But um, when it comes down to the brass tacks, it is um, w- several things I'd be doing. One is I'd be working solos with kids. Yeah. Forget about choral for right now. Let's let's work either uh, some art songs. It's good for them to, to know what an art song is and, and you know, and maybe sing a few. Um, I'd be working the Great American Songbook jazz standards with them. Um, and then I would also be, be doing um, um, some choral pieces that where I uh, amalgamated them, had them do them at home and either amalgamated them into an audio or in some cases, a, a, vir- a virtual choir uh, uh, setting. I just realized it's very time intensive. Um, and there are people who do it for you that I might choose. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Everyone has to do one, I think, but um, um, so I, it, it'd be a myriad of things, and and then um, just just exploring. Uh, certainly, working more of your sight singing and and rhythm counting. You know, using a rhythm app and those kinds of things. Everyone can use more of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Imagine if everyone had. Because that's one of the things I used to do with my men's chorus. We would do one art song during the third quarter. And that we would all work on it individually. Danny Boy or something. Yeah, something like that. And then, I mean, that's, like, I remember in college taking those private lessons. You get so much out of that. And then that's that's a great great idea. Yeah. Um, It's it's just you have to think outside the box and, and... and forget thinking about singing together in a choir. You know, you got to, it's a new paradigm. You are an educator and you're a musician. Now share, share all the, the myriad, you know, we've got, we've got a lot to choose from. Um, the other thing would be, of course, as a guitarist or ukulele, you know, being able to accompany yourself is an amazing thing. And if they can learn six chords on a stringed instrument, and accompanying themselves singing, that's a lifelong pursuit that they can do if they're not in a community chorus after high school or a college chorus. I have, believe it or not, as hard as this time has been, I've had a lot of teachers say, I have grown so much. I am seeing my kids in a whole new light. 
and students that I never dreamed are, are suddenly coming out of the woodwork. Or I'm forging relationship. Uh, my friend Krista Carey Miller said we did the masked uh, singer thing at the school. And, and she goes, there were some kids I had no idea could sing that well because they'd never have an opportunity when we're doing our sort of traditional ensemble, ensemble thing. Yeah. And, and so, um, again, I'm, I'm always sort of an optimist. It's just in my nature to try and look at the bright side. Uh, and, and it's, if this were to go on, go on forever, I, I don't know if I could continue to teach. This is, it's really hard. People <laughs> yeah. are doing double duty. I mean, it's like that first three years again, all over again, where you're just, every day as a, can I do this? Yeah, you can, everyone can. I think, I think, I mean, you're listening to one of the most awarded and like prolific choral arrangers and keeping that positive attitude is probably one of the reasons why you're where you're at, you know? So if you can keep that positive attitude and then if you could just keep working through it and remember that it's just those those connect those personal connections with those students yeah. is what's going to touch their lives. Think about the person who's touched your life like it was your um, when you were on the playground and your teacher came and you're like, oh, it's time for choir class for, 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 for Roger. <laughs> or, you know, you are that kid's teacher. You know, you can be that to a, to a student during this time. And, yeah, uh, I think it's a really cool. Yeah, they um, they say that kids need to engage with with an adult somewhere. It can yeah. be a custodian, it could be someone, a, a secretary, a cafeteria worker, you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I always had an open door policy. I was always in my room before school and after school, and and I think that's why. Um, you know, it, I I was a bit of a slave driver at times. I mean, I, I you know I probably had some seventh grade. Soprano or alto. I'm trying to get out of gender things. Soprano or alto cry every rehearsal, but but in most cases they said no. We appreciated the we appreciated the structure and the discipline, and we really had a good time because everyone wants to be great. I always say, you know, you want to be good, don't you? Well, we're gonna have to work at it, but you, you can go. do it. And then it's up to us to pick the right music that makes them successful. And that was the hardest part. Like I say, band, you know, you had grade one, grade two, grade three. And when you got to that point in the book, you plugged it in. They knew the notes. Boom, boom. Choral music is a whole nother ball game, And because and you, you want it to please you as an educator or as a musician and an educator, you want it to move them to, you know, from a curricular standpoint, you want to teach something new. Then you want to entertain your audiences. Um then you got to be able to afford it. I mean, there's just yeah. so many parameters that you that you have to meet uh, to be successful. So, hard job, hardest job I ever had teaching. Most rewarding though. But I, I loved it. it. Yeah, I loved every. I teach again in a heartbeat. You know, so so that kind of is a good segue to the the last section of every podcast. I want to collaborate and create something, uh, and for 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 Roger. I was asking different people, like, what would you want us to create? And the biggest thing is some sort of resource for, like, there, there's two, there's two prongs to this. It's, I need warm-ups for the developing male voice, uh, which, I mean, I totally understand. I remember teaching, you know, seventh and eighth grade mm. men's chorus, and it was like, oh, man, there's, there's, yep, yeah, that's, that, that, they need to warm that. I remember being a seventh and eighth grade boy in, in choir. At yeah. Church, and just like, holy cow. And then the second one is 
and this this one really got my noodle going. It's all right. We need something where we can sing on a conference call, like on Zoom, with the microphone on. So that means there's no, you can't do anything rhythmic, mm, which mm-hmm. is interesting. So mm-hmm. um, I know that you have some published warm-ups for the the male voice that might work really well. Um, and then I thought maybe we can collaborate, just like throw some ideas out on that second point, and then I can I can make something based on our conversation and, and share that out for everyone so that they can they can use it in their rehearsals. Wow. Well, um, um, first of all, um, working with the adolescent male singer uh, is a crapshoot. <laughs> I mean, it is because there are so many variables; they're all over the place. And I just want to say that uh, thinking long term. Um, the, the big issue is that um, young men come, if they've been singing in the lower grades, middle school is not a problem. The problem is that they, if you get them and they have not used the instrument, then you're dealing with not only uh, chords that are thickening, but, but that ability to, to, as as Christy Carey Miller would say, it's not their voice; it's their connecting their ears to their voice, and um, and so the, you know, I, I know when I was teaching, the first thing that we did, and and I went back into the middle school. My old kids were coming up, is we got kids singing in grades K four, even though that wasn't our charge. We taught musicals to the classroom teachers because there are classroom teachers who sing, and so that all kids use use the instrument. So we got them in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade guys would could, could sing they could sing and so then you just had to go okay so what is the what's the sweet of this group of guys what's the sweet spot that the the notes that the bulk of them are able to sing and then pick your literature yeah. accordingly and and so that's why um and you know most warm-ups unfortunately are um usually start on c well, if you got a settled out baritone, that's fine. Uh, but if you have a, a, a cambiata or sort of boy alto, his range is here to here. He's not going to have this. He'll have this. Then he'll have to go. He'll have to switch yeah. octaves. And so one of the things that I did um, early on is Rod Eichenberger had had a really great warm up. It started on C, and it was like zing a mama zing a mama zing 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 a mama zing a mama zing 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 zing. Okay, I just sort of because and it developed resonance in the mask. So I did this starting on F. Zing 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 three notes. Zing 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 song. So it accomplishes the same thing vocally, but it does it with three notes. Yeah. And so um and of course, you know, you're you're probably familiar with my pop warm-ups and workouts for guys directly came out of when when I left the middle school, I turned it over to a band guy, good guy, and but he had to do choir too, but he was uh, he um, he just didn't have much skill there. And he'd often say, Roger, will you come work with my guys? So I'd go in and so I'd be able to take his dozen guys out of this, his choir of 50 or 60. And and I realized, and I would, I would to, because they'd be all over the place. And I would, at about G below middle C, I would do shake, rattle, and roll, shake, rattle, and roll, 
shake, rattle, and roll. She, trying to find. Now, out of the 12, I'd have about eight who were right on. Then I'd have the four that are. Shake, rattle, and roll. Shake, rattle, and roll. You know, and it's sort of speaking it because they're really not phonating. I mean, the fact is, is that that their voice may have changed, but it may not have. Maybe just they're just not putting enough air over the chords to make sound. So, of course, that's where, um, you know, uh, sirens really help. Um, I love the um, uh, this is out of Ken Phillips teaching kids to sing book. And it was bark like a big dog. Roof, roof, roof. Now, yip like a little dog. Yip, 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 yip. And it gets a it's yeah, a right up, up in there. that. Yeah. And I also I did this one. I call it Star Wars. Boo, 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 boo. Like lightsabers. Boo, boo, boo. And moving on down like that, which gets them because I always say the guy with the most notes wins. Yeah. And so that that encouragement to go, okay, let's work up, let's work down. But anyway, in my pop warm-up book, um, and CD is maybe more important, particularly if you're a, a female choir director, I start on G and go up an octave with whatever it is. And they're using pop songs like uh, jump jive, then you wear you gotta jump jive, then you wear you gotta. Okay, then it goes jump jive, then you will. But then the next track, jump jive, then you will. Jump drive, then you will. So it starts here and, and goes up an octave and starts here and goes down the octave. So the idea is, is you're going you're gonna, to uh, hopefully expand their range and find where their sweet spot is. Yeah. Um, the one other thing that, that I've done from a published standpoint, and then we'll go on and you and I can work on some things here, but that's that rounds plus book. And, you know, because rounds are often at least an octave. So where are you going to put them? Again, the octave thing doesn't teen generally work in middle school. I mean, it just depends. There are some middle schools that can do everything. So I, I hate to say one size fits all, but they, they're all taken care of. For those that are having trouble, what I would do is sort of them see, um, for instance, row, 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 row your boat, right? So I'd give the guys an ostinato. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. And just get them chanting that. Okay. Now, if that didn't work, there it is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I was looking at this before and I was like, that. now it makes sense. You're, now it you're makes giving sense. them success. You give them success and, and then you just build on that. And so, um, and the other thing is that you can try it if you have more seventh grade boys it might be up here row 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 your boat you know starting on e flat because the reality is that your soprano altos they've been singing their whole life they're going to go ahead and sail on up there and they've you know it's not a problem so what you do is you, again you're trying to find that sweet spot and then work out and you're going to pick your choral music based on looking at the range and going my guys are comfortable on a melodic part in this register so anyway yeah, and then being okay with changing what songs you want to do with what songs will work really well with your with your students. yeah you know uh, I, I i can't tell off and i see um a, a a teacher who will i know why they pick the song because the kids like it and they like it and but it just doesn't work yeah 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 one of the things that i i used to do is we would do you know 
sirens and a lot in my men's right. choir and then they would have a, a falsetto journal so they would like all right i dropped out here or they would all have we would do like a descending siren they'd all have their hands raised and then when they when their voice just gave away they'd stop they'd put their hands down and then okay in your journal write down what it felt like when you were in your head voice write, write down what it felt like when you popped down to your and then trying to train them to feel where the blend is right the blended voice to make that connection yeah. Yeah, and then doing a lot of audiating exercise. Sure, because when they get better, they can shift where that where that uh, you know takes place, where that um, moving into the blended voice or chest voice. And again, the guy with the most notes, tenor bass with the most notes wins. And so they work love it. that. They love love that. that. <laughs> they lo I mean, they love the whole competitive thing. And so, um, um, you know, I mean, there there are a lot of great books out there. I, in fact, I was readdressing, not knowing how much we would talk about uh, the the men's voice, uh, the John Cooksey working with adolescent singers. Now, this is this is 40 years ago uh, that he he and I uh, that I first met him. He had done this whole study of about the there's about six different shifts in maturation of the male voice. And of course, he advocated, well, he goes, just pick four part music and you move the kids down as, uh, as they as they mature. Well, if, if you had a select ensemble, of yeah. 40 young men in a <laughs> uh, who, who had experience and were just going to change, that might work. But most of us, man, if you can get one part and maybe divide right here for a little bit, um, you're doing good. So, um, yeah. That's, that's an interesting concept. That would work for three schools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, it's, it's you've had they've had to have had experience before, and then they're yeah. just working on the change. They're not just the, the change. change and singing which is yes two things, two things. yeah um you know uh, and again it's a shameless plug but at, at how leonard um we have sort of a, a fairly carefully curated group of tb pieces called discovery series for men and it's it's really sort of uh when we say t we're talking about almost combiotic because it's about g to g okay which is which is not necessarily your typical tenor range. And then your baritone will be like D to D. And so it's really for those middle school guys. And it's just TV. It's just two part stuff like uh, uh, stand by me, you know, do, 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 you know? So, yeah. And uh, it's, it's not easy finding tunes that you can fit right into that, but Beatles work pretty well down about a minor third from their original keys. Um, so those kinds of things. And uh, yeah, strong melodies. Uh, yeah, strong melodies. Uh, and that's really important. You know, people could say, well, I wrote in this range. Well, yeah, but it's a, it's hard to sing. Yeah, Give right. them the most prominent melody if you can. Um, and that's not always the case, but whatever part it is, it has to be melodic. So so for for the this the second part, the the zoom call rehearsal where you want mm. the teacher wants to be able to unmute to have students unmute so what what i was thinking is if it could be a, a video it could be a full warm-up video where we start with breathing exercises i can right. uh take some of the ones that you've uh, already you know talked about and then you know do some some sirens and stuff some, some sure stuff. but so it could have um like a pitch playing and it could have fun backing track or whatever. It could have a sure. pitch playing. It could have a graphic that says, you know, you know, they're going to listen here 
and this is the note you're going to sing and then it could be uh, tiered like the first one could be they're singing the static pitch and uh, it'll say mic 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 on and they they then they turn their mic on while listening to the track and then they have to sing that pitch with the recording but the recording all the rhythm things leave and it's just that pitch so they have mm. to match the pitch and then the teacher's going to hear all the people singing with that one pitch and then it'll come out and it could you know, it, it could do that, then it could do that, the same thing, except right before the mic goes on, it can get rid of the pitch. So then they have to audiate the pitch and then sing the pitch. And then it could be like, then it can oscillate between two pitches. It can go, you know, do, it, you can play like do and me, and then, all right, you can assign the, you know, the first part's going to sing the low part, the right. second part's going to sing the, the, the me, and then, all right, it'll play it, and then mic off, you sing it, then it's a dyad. First time with, with something playing. Second time without. And right. You could, I mean, of course, my it's musical my, chairs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's music musical chairs. It's and... one of music, music ends go. <laughs> but then it'll be it'll be cool because you have to have independent musicianship and you have to have ears enough. But if you scaffold it correctly, it can you know be successful from the beginning. And then they're still working on musicianship skills that will transcend this crazy time and kind of game the system and even in even in the breathing warm-ups you could do because you were talking about gamifying with the with with the the men the whoever has the most notes wins right you can have them like make a piece of paper and you know like hold it up and then all right at three two one everyone's going to blow on the bottom of the paper and whoever has the paper levitate the longest in the zoom call wins Bob, or you're terrific. These are all great ideas. <laughs> unmute, and then uh, yeah, I had a lot of coffee. Sorry, you can have them unmute <laughs> while you're doing like a like a lip trill, and then like it'll sound silly because everyone will be doing a lip trill, but that's part of the that's part of being on a Zoom call. Well, sure. You know? So, so what? Well, it what keeps are, them engaged too. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, you've got to count. Okay, so you're listening. Okay, ready? Get ready. And all right, unmute. Yeah like one and a half i've been testing different like different uh different kind of conference call systems like zoom google meets webex and just like the different amount of latency between the two but right n never more than two seconds it's never more than two seconds and two seconds is if like a person is on like the first iphone and they're in a parking lot in like alaska somewhere right so what what do you have any ideas for like if if we were to scaffold that um, that the musical chairs call and responsing of, of like it has to they have to be just singing one note like the things that could change are uh, vowel shape, um, mm -hmm. uh, volume, and I don't know anything else that could change besides the pitches, the amount of uh, um, like support they're having underneath, like whatever is playing underneath at that part. Do you have any ideas for that? Well, well, the other thing is is realize we can uh, we can build chords though as long as they stagger breathing and sustain. Because there's no yeah. time involved. Any yeah. place there's no time involved. Okay, up a half step. Um, you know, that that's a fairly easy, again, where, where there's no time involved, won't matter when they when they enter. Um, and and particularly if they they hum or neutral vowel like ooh or loo. Um, and again, going through the 
Well, yeah, what would be very cool is if they're, if they're sustaining the sound via staggered breathing and then they go from, um, you know, or it won't really matter if there's a delay. You'll get this lovely kind of kind of morphing through yeah. the uh, through the five pure vowels. You thought of it. I just <laughs> no, yeah. no. This is what collaborating is. I love this. So go through different vowels. You're right. I mean, I was even thinking you could have it like you can play a chord progression that they don't know or a bass line do chord progression they don't know after after this would be like. Of course, this would be like a multiple part series at the end of it. Like you play a bass line, have them pick different parts of the chord to sing on top of it and then use their ears to listen to what parts of the what part of the voicing is missing. But that's like, yeah, that's a little advanced. But the other thing is (laughs) if they're holding a chord. Yeah. I mean, you could go ahead and do this very cool, you know, um, I always think. Or so you sign apart. There's holding it out on Lou. Okay. They're just holding the cord, and you're doing all this sort of cool stuff um, underneath. That was. <laughs> I, there were parts of my warm-ups when I was a choir teacher that were like slightly demonic. I would have them do <laughs> a note like that, and then I would change the harmony so much around that note to try to like get them to shift. Be like, and now you're singing, you're singing, you're, you're singing, right. chord, and now you're singing the seven of my major seven or whatever. <laughs> and I would just have them go crazy. But you're right. Like if if it if you could you could do something rhythmic underneath them singing in static harmony sure. because whatever they're if they're wearing headphones whatever they hear isn't going to come through, so it'll still work. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they have to wear cans. Yeah, they can listen to a groove if they are singing a static harmony, and that's another great ear training thing. Static. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing work here. We're getting it done. This is great. Um, no, I think these are these are some really good things. I'm gonna have to like put some put a mock up together. I think it needs to have some sort of visual. Um, so like the teacher could play the video and like screen share the video with like the the visuals and stuff, and then it'll help the kids prompt them to get to where they need to go. Right. Well, the other thing is, again, you could uh, do the sort of Whitaker thing where you play a C chord and you have them sing us a, a D. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing and try it in multiple places, you know. Or they can pick any note inside of the scale and sing it and try to hold it. Sure. There's there's another. Sure. Well, there's an, that's another sort of, you want to sound like Eric Whitaker? Yeah. Yeah, you got to add the Lydian in there, yeah. Pick a note, any note. And that would be super cool to listen. And and now, unmute. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then you could assign one person to be spotlit, and they can control the volume. It could be a kid. And they can control, they can control, you can double spotlight. One kid shows the the vowel shape, and another kid shows the dynamics. Dynamics. Oh, there you man. go. This is cool. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you can make it through another semester until the vaccine comes along. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Too bad I don't well, teach choir. I'm getting all these good ideas. <laughs> that's that's well, yeah. 
you know um yeah instrumental is a little easier these days that's that's for sure yeah, yeah in so many ways but no i think i mean i think the goal is okay what am- i've made it through this semester what am i going to do next semester and uh anything that we can do that helps yeah right yeah well, thank you so much. I had such a good time. Thank you, Roger, Me too. for for chatting. Learned a bunch. I feel energized to go back into work tomorrow and try <laughs> some of these things. I have a theory class tomorrow. I'm going to try all of these ideas with the theory class. Oh, that <laughs> like, sounds like fun. fun. We're singing. Well, give them my best. And yeah, it's it's been a uh, it's been a privilege and a treat. It's great to get to know you. And uh, and I just wish all of your listeners. Um, um, the best, you know, good health and, uh, uh, hang in there uh, take a deep breath. And, um, um, it's, it's okay to, um, I, I want to say we, we, we choral directors and music teachers are just a, so I don't, I don't know what to say. We set such high benchmarks for ourselves. The benchmark is, is to survive yeah. <laughs> this, this year. And, and again, uh, give the kids time to, to chat and build relationships and share stuff. And uh, I think you're doing your job there. So it's, we'll, we'll have a chance to get back to the, the old paradigm. And hopefully the old paradigm will be better as a result of, you know, I could do one less song in my concert and do more whatever, side singing, reading, solos, stuff, yeah. reading, relationships, uh, you know, we're so we're so performance oriented um, and it drives us and, and a lot of it, we love it. We love performing and it's very exciting. And by the same token, um, we may we may um, beat it to death sometimes um, and do a little less. Teach a little. I, I often yes, this is years ago, but I'd say in my workshops, how would you teach differently if you never had to concertize? Mm. Well, wow. Yeah. yeah, it would be it'd be I said, well, there'd be improvisation be more sight singing you know it'd be solos it'd be all oh the national standards that's right <laughs> composing yeah yeah anyway thank you thank you